Amen. Praise the Lord. I hope that you have not forgotten. Well, it's a good crowd here tonight for a Sunday night, and we want to welcome everybody. We're going to go ahead and get right into the Bible. I want to thank the preacher for the opportunity to preach the Word of God. I don't take it lightly. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6, and it's uh, page number 1156 in your old Schofield reference Bible, 11. 56 Acts chapter number 6 and I hope you pray for your church I hope you pray for your pastor pray for all the ministries of the church I was thinking this afternoon how much is going on in a week around uh, Woodland Baptist Church and there's so much going on I pray that you we had just this week we had the opening week of the school and uh, brother Jonathan's doing a good job with the administration and all those that help there and so Pray for the different ministries. I mean, we've got nurseries, the buses, the, the rest home, just on and on and on we can go. So pray that you'll pray for our church. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless the service tonight. And I pray that we will get something from the Word of God that will challenge us that we might go out of here being a better Christian. You know, we don't want to meet for the next 30 minutes just for the sake of meeting and uh, read some scriptures and just go home and say, well, that was good. But I pray that you know, I will be convicted. I pray that you will be convicted as we look at the Word of God this evening. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love, God. Thank you for this time that we can gather around the Holy Word of God. Lord, I pray that you to help us to realize the book that we open is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. And, and, Lord, it's, it's able to divide asunder, Lord, the, the, our thoughts and what we are going through. Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that we use the Scriptures to convict us, Lord, and look at this, what the Bible would have for us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as they were singing that song, I Have Not Forgotten, I began to think about uh, my marriage. And we're, my wife and I, we're getting ready to celebrate 18 years on Saturday. And somebody asked me the other day, they said, how in the world did you find somebody put up with you 18 years? I said, well, even a blind squirrel, I mean, even, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. I'm not calling my wife a nut, but, uh, but, but uh, I am blind, wear Coke bottle glasses, so, but uh, every once in a while. But, you know, I try to be very transparent regarding um, marriage. You know, we don't have a perfect marriage, but we do have a good marriage. My wife and I were talking the other day, and she began to tell me, she said, Mark, being married to you is like a, a walk in the park. And she paused and she said, it's like Jurassic Park. <laughs> so uh, I didn't know how to quite how to take that. But then a few days later we were kind of talking and she said, you know how wives sometimes they get, they just want to go out and get some free time and get some time away from the kids. I'm sure you young mothers can probably identify with that. But she said, you know, Mark, I'd really like to go to one of those restaurants, you know, where you where you, you go and they cook the food in front of you and everything. So I thought, okay, let's do that. So we hopped in the car, and uh, she was all excited about it. We ended up going to, to Subway. And uh, <laughs> I think that's maybe where the fight might have begun right there. So, uh, you know, but I tried my hardest not to to spout and to fight and to argue. You know how you men are. Sometimes we, we just spew out the mouth without really thinking about things. And so the other day we were in the elevator, in an elevator, and we were riding... And uh, she said something, and I said something back, and I made the awful mistake of arguing. And uh, so we're in this elevator ride, and I found out that I was wrong on so many levels. I lost track after about the 10th level or so. So, fellas, do not argue with your wife. And so uh, we were also talking one day, and, you know, you know how sometimes your wife might get flustered, and us men, we get flustered too, but, you know, something had happened. I said, honey, I said, just, just embrace your mistakes, and... 
So she kind of looked at me, and she walked over and just gave me one big hug. And I was like, that's not quite what I was expecting. So, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go the way we had, what, the way we had planned. But uh, uh, I was reading a story the other day about a, a, a couple, and the lady had passed away. And so, uh, you know, when the lady passes away, obviously you have a funeral. And so what they ended up doing is they had a, a funeral. And, of course, they had the casket there, and the pastor got up and proceeded with the eulogy and having the service and everything. Well, just like any other funeral, the pallbearers came forward and they, they grabbed the casket and they started wheeling her out. Well, as they were wheeling her out, and they, mind you, they had been married for a long, long time. And so as they were heading out of the auditorium, the pallbearers accidentally slammed into the wall and bumped the wall. Well, when they did that, they happened to hear a little faint from the casket. And so they thought, oh, boy, this is not good. So what they ended up doing is they ended up uh, opening up the casket. Sure enough, this lady was still alive. And so they ended up taking her out. And to make a long story short, she lived for another 10 years or so. And uh, the pallbearers just felt horrible. And, of course, the husband. So they lived, the lady and the husband, they ended up living another 10 years. And the lady ended up, what they, what they thought, was they, she passed away. And so here again, they went back to the same church, had the same pastor. pastor did the, the service and everything. And there again, the pallbearers were to come up. And the husband, of course, you know how the family sits on the front row. So the husband was sitting there. And the pallbearers grabbed the casket, ended up wheeling her out towards the back. And as she got to the back, as the pallbearers got to the back, the husband yelled out, Watch out for the wall! So he, he wanted to make sure he wasn't going to have another 10 years or so. So... Um, you know, there are better things than, than being married, I guess. I don't know. But uh, anyway, we better get to preaching here soon. Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6 is, it says in verse number 1, and in, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve uh, tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And then verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So we see the result there, the number of the disciples. Now it's not talking about actual disciples, disciples as we think of, but it's talking about actual believers, followers of Christ. And it says, They multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so what we want to look at tonight, it's very evident as you read through the book of Acts. I just got done reading through the book of Acts in my personal devotions, and it's very evident that the power of the Holy Spirit was upon that early church there at Jerusalem. Um, you know, we, when we refer to the power that they had, it wasn't just miraculous sign gifts. It wasn't the, just the healing. It wasn't just the speaking in tongues. But it was also in the daily witness 
of the churches. And you know what? In this church and in churches all across America, if we're not careful, the reason we may not see, and I'm, I'm glad the Holy Spirit is here, and I'm glad He convicts and works here, but I, I believe in across America, the reason we don't see God's power in our churches is because maybe we might be guilty of focusing more on programs and action items. We have a list of things to do, and we've got a list of programs, and I'm not against being organized and having all your ducks in order, and boy, we worked so hard to try to make sure that that 100-year anniversary uh, went smoothly, and, and Preacher and I got together, and we talked, and he, he said, you know, just make sure this thing runs smooth, and we tried our best, but you know what? That, I remember that anniversary week leading up to the anniversary, and boy, we tried to have all our ducks in a row, but I remember as we got toward Wednesday and Thursday, and I was around the preacher a little bit, and I could tell there was a, a solemnness to him. Why? Because it, he wanted the, the power of God to be on him. He, he, you can tell he was under the burden. He, boy, he said, you know, we can have everything organized, we can have everything good, but we need the power of God. And he kind of just set everything aside and he said, I've got to have God's power. And you know what? We as a church, we have got to have God's power. You know, the, the people met Sunday morning of that anniversary Sunday and we asked for God's power. You know, so many times we might get complimented here at our church maybe about this, this program or this or that, but lay all that aside. We need God's power. We need His presence here to be evident. We want, we want to have good facilities. We need good facilities. We need uh, the, the, churches, the church to be clean. We need the restrooms to be clean. We need the landscaping to look nice. We need the choir to, to be filled up. And we need the choir to sing good and sing with quality. And Brother Thyra does a good job with that. We need the nurseries to look good and to be spick and span to welcome our new families that come in. We need the print media to be all organized and, and nice and all that. We need the song service to go well. We need the Sunday school department to be organized and to be effective. We need the care ministry to be good. We need social media to put out our best foot forward to try to reach other people. We've got to have a good youth group. and We've got to have a, a good bus ministry. And we praise the Lord for those that work in the different ministries of the church. But most of all, we need the Holy Spirit to convict. We need the Holy Spirit to fill this place that when people come in on a Sunday morning that may not know Christ as Savior, that they will feel the Holy Spirit's tug on their heart. We want them to come and know that, hey, our God is real and He can convict us. We want sinners to feel that tug. We want the saved to be spoken to. Boy, as a saved person, I want to come to church and I want to be convicted. I want to be helped. I don't want it to be just, well, is it 6.35 yet? I know we normally get out of here at 6.35. I want God to speak to me. I want God to speak to my wife. I want God to speak to my children. I want God to speak to us as a family, and as a church family. We need the Holy Spirit of God. And I want this church in the next hundred years to continue and to, to go on even stronger for the Lord. You know, it's been said, I read this statement this week. It says, if you can fully explain the ministry of a church, something is wrong. If you can fully explain it, if you can say, oh boy, Woodland Baptist Church has this going for them. They've got this program, or they've got this organization, or they've got this ministry, and boy, it's just making it go and go. No, we don't want that. We want it to say, I don't know what it is about Woodland Baptist Church, but I know if I go there, I'm going to meet God. I know I, we want it to be where we know, hey, if we invite a coworker, if we invite a, a relative or a neighbor, we, we think, boy, they're going to come and they are going to hear the Word of God preach and that 
Holy Spirit's going to convict them. That Holy Spirit during the invitation time is just going to make them get white knuckles as they hold onto their chair and fight coming out and getting saved. We want that in our church. You know, some think, some think that the church is a building. It's not just a building. Some think it's a denomination. It's, it's not a denomination. Some think it's the uh, invisible, the universal church. And, and although we do have the universal body of believers, but the church is a New Testament institution. It's right here. It's the people of Woodland Baptist Church. It's churches all across America. So the church is a New Testament institution. The church is an assembly. We assemble together. You know, the Bible uses the phrase ecclesia is the Greek word. It's a, it's a called out assembly. It is interesting that the Lord used the personal pronoun in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. It says, upon this rock, I will build my church. The Lord says it is his church. You know what? We follow the pastor as he follows the master. It is God's church. It's the Lord's assembly. You say, what's the definition of a church? A definition of the church is a New Testament church. It's an organized assembly of baptized believers who band together for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. What's our purpose? To glorify God and to win others. That's, that's it summed up. The church is a living organism. So this evening what I want to do is I want to look at ingredients of a spirit-led church. Ingredients of a spirit led church. Most of all, we want God's Holy Spirit to be at Woodland Baptist Church. We want it to be in the front row all the way to the back row. We want it in the choir all the way to the pulpit. We want it everywhere. The church is a commissioned organization. It's not The church is not a social ministry, but it's a spiritual ministry. This is where we want lost people to come and to hear the plan of salvation. The Bible says in Matthew 28 and verse number 18, it says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You say, what's the church's uh, purpose? It's to teach. It's to evangelize. It's to baptize. And then it's to continue to teach them, to disciple them, to see them grow in the things of the Lord. We are to win the lost. That is just the first step. We're, we're supposed to win the lost, but we're supposed to baptize. We're supposed to teach. That's the importance of discipleship class. And Brother Vic, under the, under the authority of the preacher, teaching the discipleship class and growing Christians, helping them to get uh, involved. And so we see here in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the model for the early church. We want to pattern our church after the early church. In Acts chapter number 1, we saw where the church uh, um, uh, was set at 120 people. Then we see the day of Pentecost, and now all of a sudden there's 3,120 people because there were 3,000 saved at one time. Then in Acts 2.47, it says there were daily added to the church. We see that there was prayer present in Acts chapter number 3. Acts chapter number 4, we saw where opposition came. And you know one thing about church? As long as we continue to reach people, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be battles to fight. You know, in a growing church, more people, more problems. But we just work through them, we get through them, and we continue to reach the lost at any cost. You know, it's not just because we hear of a problem doesn't mean, oh boy, you know, the Holy Spirit's not here. More people, more problems. But we just keep on going ahead. Then in Acts chapter number 5, we see that there's more added Acts chapter number 4, we see that they numbered about 5,000. We see Acts chapter number 5, the city 
was filled with doctrine because of the apostles going out. So we see that the church at Jerusalem, it was a dynamic church. Don't you want to be a part of a dynamic church? I want to. When I come up Highway 52 Sunday mornings, I think to myself, I want the Lord to meet with us. I want God's presence to be here. And I pray that we all collectively pray for our preacher. Pray that the Lord continue to give him power as he preaches. So number one, we want to look at ingredients of a spirit-led church. Here's the good news. I've got two points, and we'll go to the house. Don't get so excited because there's 18 different sub-points, but, but we'll get through it. But number one, they had fear. They had fear. I'm not talking about they were scared. You know, in the book of Acts, there was a lot of persecution that was going on. The, the people were being persecuted, and uh, we, we see where people were being stoned to death, and they thought some of the apostles were dead because of being stoned at and everything. And so we see there was persecution. But that's not the fear that we were talking about. They had a fear of the Lord. And pastor did such a great job Wednesday night speaking about the fear of the Lord, so I won't make take much time on that. But the Bible says in Acts 2 and verse number 42 it says, "And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles." You know, we we need to have the fear of God in our hearts. You know, worship has never been about bringing God down, but it's been, it should be about us worshiping God for who He is. We need to worship God for who He is. When we stand in the sense of awe and reverence about a holy God that we serve, it'll cause us to live not just on Sunday for the Lord, but it'll cause us to live for Him Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And when some, some temptation comes your way, it's going to cause you to live in obedience to Him. So they had a fear of the Lord. Then, if we fear God like we should, we'll have a desire for the Holy Spirit. You know, we hear much about the Holy Spirit, and we hear much about the holy lifestyle God has called, called His children to live. But let me read you this statement. No matter how free from worldliness our lives may be, we will be empty and shallow without being yielded to the Holy Spirit and a hunger for His power. Let that sink in for a little bit. No matter how free, and we all try to live free from worldly, worldliness, but, the, but it says here, we will be empty and shallow without being yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's way more important to be yielded to the Holy Spirit than to just be so worried about crossing every T and dotting every I just right. We can, we can get so wrapped up into the, 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 the particulars of the Christian life. And I'm not saying those are not important. We should. We should want to live a consecrated life and a separated life. But if we're not careful, we can get so wrapped up into that that we're not even paying attention to the Lord and paying attention to His guiding our life. Are we really guided by the Holy Spirit? When we go to work or when we're out in the stores and shopping or if we make a visit to the hospital, are we being led by the Holy Spirit? Are we asking God to help us? Parents, we can have all the rules and regulations, but if our kids don't see a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it can all be for naught. It can all backfire. You know what? Children have the observation skills of many spies. They know whether your life is, is, is uh, true. They know if mom and dad are one thing at church and a different thing at home. Children have the observation skills of many spies. Teenagers have the authenticity meter of professional interrogators. You're not going to be able to fool a teenager whether or not, you know, if I were to go up to your teenager and say, hey, young, young person, tell me, and I wouldn't do this, 
for a million dollars, well, maybe I would, um, but if I were to go up to a teenager and say, hey, is your mom and dad real? Do they live at home what they live at the church? Your teenager can say yes or no. They would know that. They have the authenticity meter of a professional interrogator. Young people, we can dress right, we can talk right, we, can, we know how to act in church, but without the Holy Spirit, it is a wasted life. I want the Holy Spirit in my life. You know what a desire for the power of the Holy Spirit does? It makes us God-reliant. We will be reliant on God if we are cognizant, if we keep in mind that, hey, there is a God, there is a Holy Spirit. He is to govern my life. You know what? I will be God-reliant. If I put that desire away, like the preacher was talking about, how if we are more carnal than we are fleshly, you know what that makes us? That'll make us self-reliant. We'll think that we can get up and teach a Sunday school class in our own power. We'll think we can run a bus route in our own power. We'll think we can get up in the choir and sing in our own power. We say, well, I'm, I'm talented. I've got talent. You know, we can do all those things in the flesh, but it's not going to produce good results if we're not doing it through the Holy Spirit power. We think maybe, oh, wait, we can get up and preach and do that outside the power of God. No, no, sir. No, ma'am, we've got to have God's power in our life. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, and verse number 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to uh, ride in a car with a preacher, whether it be an old-time preacher, and, and you've, I've heard them before say this. They'll ride along. and I mean, it can be as simple as looking for a parking stall, and they'll, they'll kind of just mutter. They'll say, Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Guide us. And you know what they're saying? They're cognizant of God. They're cognizant of the Holy Spirit, and they want God's help. You say, well, that's just so trivial. No, we need God's help with everything that we do. So number one, we see a fear that they had. They had a fear for the Lord. They had, because of that fear, they had a desire for the Holy Spirit. And number two, they had fervency. They had fervency. They were passionate and intense about what they were doing. You think these apostles going through all this persecution, you think they took this thing of serving God flippantly? You think they took it just kind of half-heartedly? What were they passionate about? Letter A, they were passionate in biblical preaching. It says here in Acts 4 and verse number 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, I want people to see boldness in my life. I want people to see boldness in our church as we try to reach people. I want to see boldness. You know, we see Paul in the book of Acts. He stood up at Mars Hill and he said, Hey, I perceive that you're too superstitious and you, you make this image to the unknown God. And he goes on and he starts preaching to him. Can you imagine what these idol worshipers thought? I mean, there was Paul and he's telling them, Oh, you just ignorantly worship this idol. It's no good. You're way too superstitious. And he said, Hey, let me go on and tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. You think he just did that flippantly? No, he did it with boldness. And what we need in our churches, I'm glad it Woodland Baptist Church, we have biblical, fervent preaching. Biblical preaching that lifts up Christ and boldly declares the truth of His Word. That's the great need of this hour. That's the great need of churches all across America. We don't need another sermonette. We don't need uh, one to just stand by and just kind of open the Bible and sit on a chair and just kind of talk to you. But we need fervent, 
biblical preaching in our life. You know, we need one to stand up. I'm glad we have a pastor that stands up and says, hey, thus saith the Lord. And he'll step on our toes, and we need that. You know, we don't need a a preacher to just have a fireside chat. We don't need a preacher to just simply tiptoe through the tulips. We don't need a preacher that'll simply lollygag through the, the lilies, or we don't need a preacher that will patty cake through the petunias. But we need preaching. That's what's going to get the job done. We don't need a self-help lecture. We need sound Bible preaching. We don't need a learned pulpit. We don't need a popular pulpit. We need an, we don't need an eloquent pulpit, but we need a pulpit that is set on fire from the Holy Ghost. Preaching is a herald of the great king. It's a witness of the eternal gospel. You know what our preacher should be? He should stand out as the most important man in this community. Way more important. And I'm thankful we've got mayors. I'm thankful we've got a sheriff. And I'm thankful we've got all these offices. But the most important man in this community should be our preacher, should be our pastor. More important than the title of being an administrator, more important than being a title of a pastor or an organizer or a counselor or a teacher, but it's the thing of being a preacher. I love our preacher. Second Timothy 3 and verse number 16 it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That word, uh, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. That's the Greek word, theonousis, meaning it's God-breathed. You know what, preacher? You know what, Sunday school teacher? You know what, bus worker? You know what, nursery worker? We want our lives to, to breathe the word of God with power. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, and verse number 2, it says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. You know what? Look, if you were to look at that Second Timothy four two, it says reprove, rebuke, and exhort. If you were to take the ratio of that, if you're a math person at all, at, at that, two out of three has more of a what we would think of as a negative connotation. You know what? We need our toes stepped on. There was one person that went to a church one time, and uh, as you know, as custom is in a lot of churches, the the pastor will greet people and talk to people. Well, this particular pastor, he went out to the back of the church and was in the foyer, and as people were going out, uh, one particular man shook the preacher's hand, and he said, hey, preacher, good message this morning. You know, you really stepped on my toes. And here's what the preacher told him. He said, I'm sorry. I was aiming at your heart. And you know what? We need preachers that will aim at the heart. You know, I'm glad we've got one at Woodland Baptist Church. Let Next, in sound teaching. What can we be fervent in? We can be fervent in sound teaching in Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 42 it says and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers you know what the doctrines of the word of God are so important we need biblical teaching that's the reason why we have discipleship class you know the Bible says we are to teach people you know what we're to teach them the word of God if we will teach them the word of God then they will live a lifestyle that's set forth by the word of God to get those reversed if we start teaching people how to live way before we teach them the word of God it's getting it out of order to reverse the pattern is to develop people that uh, they won't they'll have the fruit and they won't have the root and if we're not careful they won't hang around that's why Sunday school is so important teaching it's so important. It's good for us to be here 9 o'clock. Let me encourage you, if you don't go to Sunday school, be here right at 9 o'clock. Be in your place if you're not on, on a bus. Be here right at 9 o'clock to be fed the Word of God. We need to be fervent in preaching. We need to be fervent in sound teaching. Then next, we need to be fervent in prayers. We need to be fervent about this thing in prayer. 
I hope we're in the spirit of prayer on Saturday evening and Sunday morning leading up to the services. You know, I, I try my best, and I'm no saint of God, but I try my best Saturday evening. I try not to get wrapped up into a lot of activities and going here and going there. I like to just kind of take it easy in my mind and, and think about the Lord and think about the service the next day. And I like to lay my clothes out and be all set up for the next day to think, man, I get to go to the house of God, and I want to pray for the services. So we need to be fervent in prayer. And then next, we need to be fervent in love and grace. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse number 8, it says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You know, if we will have fervent charity here at Woodland Baptist Church, we will, I'm not saying let's cover up sin as far as let's look over it and we'll just let uh, everything slide by, but let's realize we're all sinners saved by grace. Let's realize, hey, if there's a brother that's struggling with something, there's a sister struggling with something, let's not thumb our nose at him and just think, oh boy, let's encourage him. Let's be a blessing to him. Let's think to ourselves, how can I help that person? They've got a real struggle. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we might be in that same struggle. And truth of the matter is, we're all sinners. We all struggle with things. So let's, let's be fervent in charity. A spirit-led church overflows with the love and grace of God. You know what? Grace will never be more evident than it is evident in the lives of us here at Woodland Baptist Church. It's not going to be any more evident than it is in the relationships within the church. We shouldn't have members that sit over here because we, don't, we can't talk to this person over here, or this one sits here because, well, I can't shake hands with that person over there. We need to make things right if we're in that situation. But every relationship in the church should set forth the graciousness of spirit-filled people. A bickering, quarreling church is not likely to see the supernatural power of God. Would you think the Holy Spirit would want to come visit Woodland Baptist Church if the Holy Spirit knew that there's this quarrel going on and there's this bickering going on and there's this backbiting and all this going on? I'm not saying any of that's going on, but, but the Lord knows all that. May we, may, if we need to make things right, let's go to a brother, let's go to a sister, let's call him up on the phone, let's walk over to him during handshaking time and say, Brother, would you forgive me? I've, I've had a bad spirit towards you. Let's make it right. Because we want the Holy Spirit here. We want Him here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We need the Holy Spirit. And we've got to have that love and grace in our life. Next, we need to in, in sacrifice. The natural outflow of love is sacrifice. There was an Indian missionary named Amy Carmichael. And here's what she said. She said, you can lo- give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. If you love this church... I'm going to say it. You'll give to this church. If you love this church, and I'm not just talking about uh, treasure, but I'm talking about your time. When Brother David stands up and talks about uh, bus workers and bus drivers, you'll give of your time, talent, and treasure. Uh, or when, when we make an announcement about nursery workers, or we make an announcement about choir or workers and all these different needs that we might have, if you love your church, you will give it. The Bible says where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And yes, that can be applied towards money, but it can be applied towards our time. 
towards our talent. I was talking with somebody earlier this afternoon, and we were talking about the van that they run and everything, and what a testimony that we've got a servant in here, and servants all over this auditorium, but this particular person said they get up, and they, they're out the door by about 7 o'clock and making, uh, making a run with the van to pick up several bit different people for church. What a testimony, and that's the testimony of many, many bus workers, and there's so much that goes on that we don't even know about there, but there are people giving and sacrifice. In Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 44, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. How's your sacrifice today? And then lastly in closing, how's your witness? How's your service? The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, it talks about how there was great persecution. And Saul made havoc putting people in prison. This was before he got saved. But you know what? The result was the persecution came and those apostles, they just went out like bandits. They just kept on preaching. and They kept going here and going there and just preaching everywhere. May we have that spirit of witness. May we have that spirit of service. So we looked at the ingredients of a spirit-led church. I want to close with this illustration. There was a new pastor uh, in the state of Oklahoma. He went to Oklahoma and he he took over a church and started pastoring. And he, boy, he was a young pastor. And he was so excited about the work of God and about the things of God. And so what he started to do was he went out and started just visiting people and getting them to come to church. And so the, the Sunday came where after he got done doing all his visits, he actually went out and he visited some people. And next thing you know, he had that Sunday morning service and not a single person uh, showed up for service that particular Sunday morning. Boy, the, the preacher was discouraged, and he said, man, what am I going to do? I've left my home state. I've, gone, I've come to Oklahoma. I'm so excited about this church, and now no one shows up to the house of God. So he said, I know what I'll do. And so he had this idea, and what he decided to do was he was going to put an ad in the newspaper, and he put an ad on the radio, and they made the announcement, and they said, hey, we're going to have a, a funeral for our church. And he was actually going to have a real funeral for this church because in his mind it was a dead church. There was nothing going on. And so what this preacher did, he said, we're going to have a bona fide funeral for this church. And so what he did is he actually got, went out and got a real casket, brought the casket before the pulpit, uh, put it right here right where the Lord's table was, and he put that casket there and, uh, and he announced that the service would be that following, that following Sunday. And so he had, he, the preacher stood up and did the funeral, and they sang and did the eulogy. I mean, it was really a weird thing, but people came out because they were kind of morbidly curious about this funeral for this church. And so the casket was there. It was a closed casket. And so they were real curious. And then so after the service, the pastor prayed and uh, he closed the service. And he said, now we're going to have a time of visitation. I want you all to come by. And so the people were real curious. They were thinking, what in the world is going on? And so, of course, everybody was, you know, their curiosity was up. And they were like, what's going on? So they all stood up and they formed a line. They started going through. And the, 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 the people from the funeral home came forward and they opened up the casket. And, they, they, boy, they were curious. They wanted to see what was going on. And so one by one, they started walking through the, walking through the line. And the first member got up and he came through and got to the, got to the casket, looked at the casket, and they kind of, the pastor noticed, and other people started noticing as they would go through the line, they would kind of sheepishly just hang their head and walk away. And people after people after people did that. And you know what was inside that casket? It was a mirror staring right back at them because their church was dead. Let me ask you people of Woodland Baptist Church, are you helping to give life to your church or are you helping to kill it? Do these characteristics describe you this evening? Are you a member that fears the Lord? 
Are you a member that wants the Holy Spirit to be in your life? Are you a member that is fervent in desiring preaching? Are you a member that is fervent in wanting the teaching of the Word of God? Are you a member that is fervent in prayer, praying for your church? Are you a member that is fervent in this thing of love and grace toward one another? Are you a member that is carefully uh, wanting to give and to give of your time and your talent and your treasure? Or are you going to be a part and walk through and you're going to be somebody that contributes towards the killing of the church. What kind of church member are you this evening? Are you, I'm all for carefully planned programs for us fulfilling the Great Commission, but most of all, we need God's Holy Spirit. We need to be a Spirit-led church. Let's keep the power of God at Woodland Baptist Church. Let's double up. Let's continue spiritual efforts. We must keep our dependence on and our yieldedness to the Holy Spirit of God. Let's bow our head and have every hat every head bowed and every eye closed. You guys listen so well tonight and as the instrumentalists come to play, let me ask you, what kind of church member are you? Are you helping to build the church or tear it down? And boy, we've got so many good people in this church, but let's all pray that we are fervent. We're fervent about preaching. We're fervent about teaching. We're fervent about praying for our church and praying for our pastor. We're fervent about love. We're fervent about grace. We're, we're forgiving. We're, we have the spirit of compassion and realizing, hey, but for the grace of God, there go I. And so let's have a word of prayer. If